Hey, welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast. Uh, got your usual crew here. I'm Paul Gillette. Got uh, Christer, Christopher Palomares and, of course, New England's own uh, James Lincoln. So you went out and bought routers and all kinds of woodworking tools? I bought, yeah, I bought a router and a fest tool um, track saw. And... and uh, with uh, the appropriate tracks and a, and a you know, a, 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 everybody else would call it a, a, a shop back, but it's a, it's a dust, it's a dust, I forget what it's called, but it's, it, it's a, it's a shop back, but it's a high end shop back that cuts the dust down. Oh, okay. So it's, it's got specifically, good... it's specific. Yeah. It's specifically designed it's a HEPA filter and yes. it's specifically designed to work with the tools to really, all the tools are designed. So you, the absolute minimum amount of dust that gets sent out and it, you know, automatically turns on when you turn on the tool, turns off when you turn off the tool. Okay. What are you going to do with it? It, it is. Uh, what I did is I built a couple of, um, there was a basic workshop, um, were at uh, Woodcraft. There was a basic wood shop set, and I looked at those, and I thought it would be a nice base for the the O scale modules that I'm doing. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's a couple of shelves to hold a bunch of cars, with a space underneath, and then an I beam, an I beam goes between them. And what I'm hoping to do is to put hinges on it so that the um, the uh, layout will actually hinge up so you can get at the bottom of it. Okay, Doke. So, Chris, you there? Pretty high, but I'm here. So, Jim was just telling me how he's gone on, gone out to become a uh, a work woodworker with all the tools he's buying. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I just Go, what was that? No, I said I went out. I got a router and a. I already had a uh, chop saw, but I uh, I got a uh, a track saw, so that it's easier to cut four by eight sheets of plywood. Okay. As opposed to you know that that's the thing is is you is 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 the the, the saw runs in a track instead of uh, a, a rip fence. Yes. So it it cuts absolutely straight. So, which is. Which is really nice. Doesn't doesn't pick up a lot of dust. It's uh, very very high end tools. I lost my mind. Okay. Apparently. So, uh, but the the um, you know, learning how to do rabbit joints and dados and all that great stuff. Good grief! Um, You're going hardcore. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, you know. Then I, you know, my father has a problem with the steps going out of the uh, the bulkhead steps. The bulkhead steps, you know, there's eight-inch risers, but the last riser, the space between the step and the top leading out of the house of the the bulkhead is 12 inches. Oh, wow. So he's constantly, yeah, he's constantly catching his foot. Sure. And then dropping, dropping, and then tearing up his shins on the edge of the bulkhead. Oh, yeah. And so... He says, oh, I keep tripping on the bulkhead. I'm like, oh, okay. And then when I looked at it, I'm like, well, yeah. The last step is 12 inches. You said, I trip on that. So um, I put in a, 
I'm, I'm working on putting in a bunch of steps, but what I'm doing is I'm doing rabbit joints for the two by fours okay. on the, on the sheets of plywood, which, which means what no, most normal people would do is they would just, you know, they would just throw a piece of sheet of plywood on a bunch of two by fours and be done with it. And I'm getting fancy. So, but it's good practice because it doesn't make any difference whether you screw it up or not. You know, if you screw up a sheet of plywood, that's all it's going to be is a is a step inside a uh, um, a bulkhead. Who cares? But it makes really nice, strong joints, which is okay. Well, if it keeps your dad from falling and hurting himself, it's always worth it. Well, that me me too, you know, because I'll trip and fall coming out of the bulkhead <laughs> too. So I know, uh, I know. You know Trust uh, me, I know. Yeah. So. We had company last week, and they had to leave early on Friday to go down the Union Terminal to catch Amtrak. And their goal is to eventually travel on every passenger train that Amtrak runs, every train passenger train in Canada, short lines wherever. So they were they had sleeping. Uh, arrangements leaving out of here going to I think Chicago then to Boston and then coming down the seaboard back to Jacksonville anyway nice nice. yes if I I had the time if I had the time I'd do it yeah that's the thing is normally you know you know with work you have one week off at a time you don't have the time to ride a train you know, if I'm going to go anywhere, I, ha- I have to fly. I have to fly or drive. Well, and his wife's retired. So, and he does a lot of travel with, we know him from Mayo. He and my wife work together in Oregon Transplant at Mayo in Phoenix. That's how we knew him. And he's a model railroader. And so <clears throat> when he gets in before we went out to dinner the other night, we came up to the train room and uh, played around a little bit. But, so, and his wife is really into this. And she goes, oh, yeah, I just take either audiobooks or books. And he's telling me about some of the special accommodations that some of these trains have. And especially some of the cruise trains they've taken. And I went, holy cow, that would be worth three to four days. And my wife's looking at me like, all right, so you want me to do this too, right? <laughs> well, yeah. And uh, so it was just, it was really interesting. And he's, yeah, he praised Amtrak. He said, I've never had a bad experience in one of the sleeping cars with the meals. He says, they're always clean. Uh, he said, we always just get rooms. They have their own restroom. And uh, yep. I went, wow, that is just so neat. Well, when I when I went out to San Diego, I went to San Diego and San Jose, and uh, between San Diego and San Jose, I took the Coast Starlight, and that was great. And for an extra hundred bucks, for basically, I think it was a hundred dollars. I said for an extra hundred dollars, I was able to get a an economy sleeper on the Coast Starlight, and I was hemming and hawing about it, and. My engineer, because I was talking about it to, with my engineer, he says, well, how much are you going to spend for meals? Because it includes all your meals. 
when you get a sleeper on Amtrak, it, it includes all your meals in the dining no car. Didn't realize that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, three meals a day. Yeah. It includes everything except booze. It doesn't include alcohol. But, and she said, well, how much are you going to spend on meals? And I said, eh, you know, if you're going to eat in the dining car, it's probably, you know, 50, 60 bucks, or maybe $75. And she said, so for $25, you get your own private compartment. I said, well, I hadn't looked at it that way. He says, yeah, just, just spend the money. <laughs> You're going to oh, spend the yeah. money in food anyway. Get the compartment. <laughs> because, you know, when you felt, when, when I was tired and I just felt like taking a nap, you take a nap. And you get up and you watch the scenery go by and then, you know, there's a shot, you know, and all those you have, you don't have a private shower, but I mean, it's a sh- private shower, obviously, but it's, you don't have a shower in the room, but there's a shower in each sleeping car. Okay. Yeah, it's very, it's very nice. It's a nice way to travel if you can afford it and it's available. All right. I've gotten too old to ride and coach. Yeah, the last time I took the city of New Orleans, I I took coach. Of course, it was high line, you know, high level equipment. And right. full reclining seats. They were only two, two across. Plenty of room is like, you know, being first class on an airplane. Yes. I was really impressed. Even the Amfleet coaches on the Northeast Corridor. Yeah. You know, that's like standard coach is like first class in an airport. Okay. You know, it's it, the, the seats are huge. You have plenty of room. You can lean back. You've got electricity. Yeah, it's nice. Anytime you can ride Amtrak, guys. I mean, the Acela is great. Problem with, you know, I can ride for free if you get the right conductor. The oh, problem okay. with the Acela is the Acela, they say, you can ride for free, but you have to ride in the cafe car. And the cafe car is not some place you want to sit for three hours. <laughs> on, okay. an Acela. In, on, a, on, on, a, on an Amfleet train, it's fine because it's, it's kind of regular seat. But in an Acela, it's kind of like high bench seats, if that makes any They're like stools. Okay. Where you sit along a window. So it's not really comfortable. But I can put up with a lot for, you know, a free, you know, $150 train ticket. But it's not the most comfortable place. Amfleet's much more comfortable. Well, our oldest daughter, she's in Vermont. So they drove over to Boston and yep. took Acela down to D.C., this past yep. uh, week, she, her husband, and the two grandsons for a friend of ours' wedding. So I haven't had a chance yep. to talk to her about uh, how the uh, the Acela trip was, and they'll be on a, going back um, to Boston and get to talk to the grandsons, see how they liked it, because they know Grandpa's into trains. So be interesting. Oh well, yeah, but I mean, the Acela itself is comfortable. All I'm saying is that. You know, when I ride for free, if the conductor lets me, the, you know, the, the cafe is not someplace you want to stay. But when it's free, I can put up. Okay. <laughs> all right. So. That's all. Yeah. The, 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 basically, the entire cell is business class. You have business class and first class. Those are your options in the, on the cell. All right. Let me get a hold of. Uh, Chris, drop. Oh, I told him to. He wants me to call him back. What the original intent of tonight was, was to go go through this nightmare with this CF7.
Oh, yeah. I was telling Jim, it was one of those situations where if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. So, And it did. Yes, multiple times. So I've created a blog I'll post up on Model Railroad Hobbyist. And I titled, it, I titled it, Never Buy a Locomotive Built on Sacred Burial Ground. Because <laughs> it's cursed. I have one just like that, too. Yes. Not a CS7, but a, a one that was just cursed. Oh, I, you know, we had talked, mentioned on the last uh, podcast that its speed was just totally different from the other two locomotives I wanted to match it with. And, mm-hmm. I mean, this thing would only go maybe 40 scale miles an hour. And, Weird. Yeah, we were just talking. Maybe it was just the way it was wired, this or that. So... You put the bug in my ear about buying a Cotto motor. So mm-hmm. I did. Took this thing apart and found a brand new in the package Cotto motor, the same type they use on their SD locomotives. And mm-hmm. took the Athern RTR motor out. And the Cotto motor, motor cradle and all, slipped right into the CF7 frame. Perfect. Just used the Cotto screws to go in. So. Mm-hmm. Cut their motor control tabs off, spliced in 30-gauge wire. The decoder I was using was an ESU Select Direct. It had come out of uh, a couple tunnel motors I had that I upgraded to uh, Tsunami 2. So I shoehorned them in there because that's a short body. And I've got a DSM-8 in the back hood. So this daggone decoder is real long. So Right. First time I, so I put it in, put the body on, so I lost my train. Oh, so anyway, I put it on the track after doing some rudimentary programming and just to try it out and it wouldn't do anything, would not do anything. Hmm, Weird. So I had it on the program track, so on the ESU load programmer. Turns out what had happened, I had left the room while this thing was downloading the sound files, which takes about 30 minutes. Apparently, there was an interruption somewhere along the line, so the files didn't load. So I come Wonderful. back to a regular screen, and I think it's it's done. And on the uh, first decoder screen, it shows me the right cab number. But beyond that, about nothing wrote, none of the CVs. So, all right, not a problem. Reload the file. This time I stayed in the room to make sure it happened. Got it done, hooked up the lights, which became a separate story. Had uh, one set of surface mount LEDs in it. And I put on the uh, details, uh, associate rooftop beacon, put an LED in it, and relocated the uh, ground plane antenna behind the air conditioner and did a few other things because I'd looked up some photos. Put it on the track and... It ran, without tweaking it, it ran just incredibly slow. I mean, the way you want to in a good way. Once I had the Cotto motor in it. So I put it up against the other two CF7s because they run very well in speed step one. Compared to the Cotto motor, they were racehorses in speed step one. I couldn't believe the difference. And so I went, holy crap, what the heck? Yeah, because all the CV456 values were all the same, and I'm going, what the heck is this? 
And I'd already rebuilt the truck, so I knew they were well lubed. There was no binding. Uh, the motor would spin free. And I thought, it's just the difference between a Kato motor and an ethanol motor. Not, neither one's good, neither one's bad. It's just different. So that's when I sent you the email about, what do you know about doing speed tables? So before that became a, a problem, and I was still testing it, it had an intermittent cutout. It would just stutter, stall, stutter, stall, stutter, stall. And the body wobbled, or the frame wobbled on the trucks. So it would actually wobble when it was running? Yeah, you could actually, if it went around a corner or through, you could actually see a little movement. And if I put my hand on it, I could roll it. All locomotives have a little movement. This was gargantuan movement. Oh, and wow. So I'm thinking, okay, I have to do speed tables to match it with the other two guys. So then the lights quit working. Headlights, nothing worked. And I went, okay, take it apart yet again and check all the wires. The wires are good. One of the lights had pulled loose. I don't know, got caught. Who knows who uh. was putting the body on. So reattach that. So put it back on the track. And again, this start and stop, start and stop. Now, this was the vintage that had, you know, the clips on the metal piece coming out of the truck. And that's where the wire was attached. Well, I take all those clips off and solder the wire directly to that uh, truck piece, whatever it's called. And then that feeds one uh, rail. And the other rail is fed by a wire that goes into a brass clip that is screwed into the fuel tank. So those pieces were all soldered in and so forth. And I thought, okay, I got to find out why this thing is wobbling because that may have something to do with the intermittent stalling. So trying to do it the easy way, because I've already had this decoder in and out about three or four times by now. I thought, okay, I'm just going to take off the worm gear covers, drop the truck down, take a look inside the frame, because it should be machine smooth in there where the kingpin goes through the truck bolster. Well, it's not. And I go, there's a ridge there. That may be why hmm. it teeters, and that may also be why I'm getting intermittent contact. So I'm, I've got a real small jeweler's file, and I can almost get in there to file this, the truck bolster, or I'm sorry, the frame bolster smooth. But I've put a big piece of foam on the foam under the frame, turn it upside down, and I'm holding it with one hand trying to get there. Well, I damaged the decoder. Because they just don't like to flex, and it's a printed circuit board. <laughs> so I went, oh, crap. Well, I've, I've got another extra one. <laughs> I can, so I take it off again. This time I just leave it apart while I file the frame. And the trucks, that little piece of meat has got burrs on it. And so I go in there and I file it down, just place it back together, and all of a sudden it's more stable. And I go, okay, so let's just put the other decoder over here. Let's wire it up. And it still stutters. So I grab a piece of uh, really 
long narrow tweezers. I'm just gently tugging here and there, tugging here and there. It is the ground or the wire coming out of the frame. So I'm trying to torque it down, you know, without taking the motor out, without disassembling all this again. And I can't really get sufficient torque on it. So I break that decoder. <laughs> so, so that was number two? Number two. So by then I just started laughing. So I take it all apart again and go in. And I thought, well, I'll just scrape all the paint off the frame down there, tin it, and then put solder on the bottom side of that brass clip so that we get a good contact. Could not get the solder to adhere to the frame. So I did eventually get a little bit of solder to stick there. So I soldered a, uh, a steel washer to the bottom of the brass clip, which allowed the screw to get more leverage and hold it tight. Now there was no wiggling in it. And that took care of the intermittent cutting in, cutting out. So all I had to do was wait for a decoder to come in. And this time I bought just the select, not the select direct, because the other twos have selects in them. So while I'm waiting on it, I noticed that the wires are, are loose again, and I'd used uh, 0402 surface mounts. And so the way the design is, to get the styrene rods, which are the lens, into the headlight, and get the shrink tube in there, get the uh, 0402 nested and everything, you have to take that little number board headlight appendage off the front of the cab. Now, mind you, this is the hmm. version that's got like the Topeka cab, the angled cab, because the clearance through then the cab opening will take the flexible wire from the 1.5 volt incandescent bulb but when i start putting a rigid piece of uh 16th inch diameter pvc there it won't say so take it off no big deal take a file and i lower that wall which is actually the top of it to the inside surface of the roof now i've got all kinds of room for my rod the shrink tube and it's just a matter of gluing it back in and so after i had you know in all this manhandling and stuff one of the wires got pulled out of the, uh, you know, the surface mount things. And I go, well, I'll just order a couple more. And so I look at my parts box and I've got about a dozen of the clear warm white 1.8 millimeter uh, LEDs. They've got the little rigid feeds on them. So those are the, the larger, larger size LEDs. Then. Yeah, the yeah but they're not the twos, threes, or the fives. They're like 1.8. And on a piece of 16th inch... ID shrink tube, that little, you know, what becomes the outside lens of that LED will snug right up in there. And I went, okay, this is going to be my lens. All I got to do is trim the styrene rod and recut the shrink so that this stuff will just kiss, you know, that edge of that LED will just kiss the uh, styrene rod and then it'll nest inside the shrink tube. So I do all this, get the wiring done. I get that done and I put two drops of super glue 
on each light bulb just to hold it into you know the shrink tube because what I want to do now is bring up a, a small piece maybe like 150 thousandth long of quarter inch shrink tube run it up over to where it will grab the lens its shrink tube and the LED and I used a birthday candle to shrink it just held it over the and now it's not going anywhere because it's shrunk all over everything. Now I've got pictures I'll post on the blog thing. And cool. So then I, I run my leads, uh, hook all this up, put it on the track. Speed step one is just incredible. <laughs> this new decoder after I've got all the files lined. And I go, well, let's see how the headlights work. They lasted about two seconds. Poof. Because the select does not have built-in resistance for leds and i was so used to using oh, no. select directs and so <laughs> then i'm laughing that's okay i've got a dozen of these things and so i just take the lights out pop a couple in new shrink light up the birthday candle shrink it down then pull out the the uh three 1k resistors that i need and wire them in series there on the the blue common test it before i put it all in <laughs> and everything works fine the the gyro light, you know, flashing real nice. So put it all back together. Try it out on the track. You and I have already had the conversation about speed matching. And I thought, well, let's well, get that part done. Put it on the track. And I conscious these three CF7s. But I don't hook them together. And I started off one speed or speed step one on 128 scale. They're just... Perfect sync. I got them an inch apart and they're just mm. perfect sync. Speed step two. Anyway, long story short, all the way up to speed step 25, they are perfect, perfectly matched on the speed. Between yeah. 25 and 30, the lead unit starts maybe like an eighth of an inch every four or five feet sliding down. And I go, yeah, that's close enough. This is a small model railroad. This is obviously a secondary train. It doesn't need to go any faster than speed step 25. So I was amazed that the Kato, where we got the same decoders, the same... I did do some minor tweaking on the CV3 and 4 values, but relatively minor. And they're just speed matched. So I was happy about that. So... Small victory, huh? Yes. So... I go to glue everything back together, and I've got some uh, Model Flex uh, Santa Fe yellow. And I'm just going to touch up like where I had moved the fog horns and put in the three light or the three horn Leslie and a few other little stops. So I've got my detail brush there putting it on. And it's just paint dry, it's just got a blackish tint to it. And I'm going, what now? Just a brand new bottle, just got it in. And it was a brand new brush. So it was reacting with something. So I thought, well, what the heck? So I took, you know, one of these micro detail pins and painted just the top, thinned it and let it flow on. So it was almost like a wash just on the cab top and on the uh, number board appendage. And it, it dried a little bit darker, but it was okay because the whole roof was that way. So I thought, okay, by the time I weather this, that'll be not noticeable. So Yeah, at that point, just hit it with some diesel exhaust on top and, <laughs> you know, just airbrush it on and be done with it. 
Well, I go outside. My first step has been using a uh, an alcohol s- solution of any ink. Yeah, like 95.5 uh, with a big soft bristle brush. And I do this on cars and locomotives. That becomes my first step. I just kind of flood it on. It clings to like the storage details, the handles and stuff, and it just kills that shine and provides a little tooth for the uh, dry pigment or if I'm going to airbrush the underframes or whatever. And so I'm doing this and it's not real heavy and I've got the overhead fans on, so it's starting to, you know, dry and come up with a real nice fade on that yellow and I look at the roof. The roof is reacting with the alcohol in the uh, solution where I'd put the painting. And I went, well, what the heck is this? So I let it dry. What now, you know? <laughs> so I get out my dry pigment and I get some uh, medium earth and just start dabbing it on there and then taking a small brush and moving it around, letting it build up around the seams with the air conditioner and stuff like that. Just. And some of it looks good and some of it's blotchy. It just goes like to chocolate brown and i'm going what the heck is this so i get out the alcohol again long story short took about because i airbrushed exhaust soot up on top where the sacks are you know grimy black there and then followed it up with some black pigment so i'd have a a little physical difference there so i just started taking a small brush and wherever the blotches were on the cab i just used a damp brush you know damp uh, alcohol and just lightly rubbing and it, they lightened up and once I got it all even I went back with the same alcohol to clean the dull coat off the cab windows and stuff and that cleaned up well off the headlights <laughs> finally got it to where it looked just like a well weathered again I went on line and found some uh, examples that were pretty grimy in their last years but yes it was like what else can go wrong with this locomotive. <laughs> but now that it's oh, all done. Man. So this is like a four-week process. All this took place over about four weeks because when I ran out of LEDs the first time, then damaged the decoders, you know, I had to wait for Litchfield Station, whomever, to ship this stuff to me. I had to wait for the paint because I thought I had Santa Fe Yellow didn't. And uh, my local guy doesn't carry Modelflex. He he uh, carries other brands, and it was, but now that it runs, oh, those three locomotives just are in such sync, and it's a good sound file out of ESU for the 567, so then I get just, yeah, I'm happy with that, so I'm in the backyard with the dog, and I come in, and my wife says, hey, you got a box, and because uh, she was in town for the weekend, and I look at it. I see the address up in Canada, and it doesn't ring a bell. I'm feeling it up, and I just go, I haven't bought anything. And I look at the amount of it, and I go, well, that kind of rings a bell. So anyway, the first, when we did the conversation with George, one of the first decoder installs I did was a very late model, current run, Proto 2000 Amtrak E8. Yeah, I remember that. So I wanted a second one. So I found one at a dealer because they hadn't been made in a couple of years. And it was DC. Price was right. 
and that's what was in there. So today I've ordered the uh, Tsunami 2. I'm going to try different speakers. I looked at it because the others I used uh, Railmaster's uh, RND28s in a Coke cap, like off a 16-ounce Coke. Makes a great enclosure. Fits in there, and it sounds pretty good when you tune it up on the uh, decoder. This time I'm going to try on this new one. I took all the wiring apart today, rewired the headlights, rewired the motor and all that stuff, but they had some really thin-gauge wire in there, so I upped everything to 30 and 28 just waiting on the decoder, got the wires re or the lights redone. So I'm going to try, just like I've done on some other diesels, four of the 18 by 13 by 18 sugar cubes series parallel. And I'm going to put two in the back because Walther's has a speaker cutout back there that fires down through the frame past the truck. I'm going to put two back there and two up front firing but I'll have them wired together series parallel and see so what it sounds like once I do my standard you know graphic equalizer tuning that I do on those speakers to get the growl so we'll see I mean worst case scenario I go back and grab a couple more coke tops and create two new speaker enclosures with the uh, R&D 28s but probably you have the new decoder by Tuesday and so far everything on this one's Good. I don't think it. Uh, I don't think this locomotive is cursed. Well, that's a good start. You know, uh, you you know, one of the things that I was kind of discovering when I'm doing some of the larger SDs, and I haven't done a an E unit per se, but stuff with like a 28 millimeter 28 millimeter speaker just doesn't have enough of a baffle. Just the nature of how much room is in the locomotive. It would be great to have like an adapter speaker box that would sit it's quite literally square peg round hole adapter you know <laughs> take the the square little sugar cube speaker and come up with like a round box for it a round box slash baffle for it that would accept the or it could fit into like the 28 millimeter speaker uh, mount that's on a lot of locomotives well what i'm gonna do i put I had three of them here, so I took them because each of the you know the bigger ones, and I put them side by side, and they'll fit side by side in that twenty-eight millimeter round opening because they're only twenty-six, and the length is such that it's still you know we don't have any conflict with that circular opening. But what I have to do is once I wire them is take a piece of styrene and put it on fireman's side, the other one on the engineer side, and extend it so that it captures the frame because otherwise they'll sit down in there and just rub on the drive shaft, which is not good. So I have to create yeah. a little bit of a suspension to keep them up. But on my MTH PAs, because I used a... 23 millimeter base speaker in there I had to do the same thing and I just used styrene rod and I used silicone to attach it and when it was dry then it bridges the span and holds the speaker at the depth by gauging by where I put that little support on it and it 
it works. There's no vibration, no rattle, and yet we don't have any conflict with the uh, drivetrain. So I'm right now. I've got a bunch of these because I use Miracle Grow on all my flowers out there, and this is the containers that you put into one of their guns, and it dilutes. So this cap is 28 uh, millimeters in diameter, and it's about oh, I'm guessing an inch deep. So that's too deep on the E unit. But this could be cut off because the the body is straight down. That speaker would set right in there. Usually your wires come out the back. That's the other thing I may play around with and see which way uh, comes out. But the sugar cubes have just, especially when they're close coupled, you're doing three or four, they're low, mid-range, 200, slightly below 200 hertz performance. It's just incredible. And Jim, you've talked to the professor before. He's the guy that put me onto this. Good old Professor Kaliser. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He would do that. Yes. Yes. So his, uh, on the ESU Facebook installations thread, a guy in Ohio actually lives not too far from where we used to live, was showing a, a short video of one of his FW7s. He had his iPhone there, and he had a spectrum analyzer app that was tracking the frequency of the of the sound coming out of the decoder. And so I private messaged him, and I said, what is that? So it's on the uh, app store. I bought the $4 version. It's called FFT Plot. And it's just an iPhone. There's probably one for Samsung, Galaxy, and stuff too. And it's a linear thing. And it gives you a couple ways you can display it. You can track the peaks and all that. But it's got the whole sound spectrum from 0 out to 20 on there. And I've got it just using the iPhone microphone. If you're, you know, if somebody makes a, a mic that you can plug into your phone, there's a menu where you can select the type of microphone, but I plugged it in and put one of these diesels on the other day. It was amazing watching the frequency. It was like four bucks. I'm going, wow. Dang. Life is yeah, good. That'd be a great if we could find it on the app store and maybe post a link on like the Facebook or something. I'll do that because there was another one. This one does, you know, the, the lines looks like a EKG. There was another one. It was a little bit more money. I think it was by the same company that did like bar graphs. So each frequency break went up in a bar graph. And so it just was a neater visual. <laughs> so I may, yeah, I will get that and post that on the podcast page because it's on the uh, Apple app. So it's pretty good. It's only four bucks. So that was, that was neat. So Chris, you, you keep breaking my heart here. Where are we on STP-40Fs? They're on a boat on the way, right? Yeah, well, no, they're actually in the United States. Uh, when we got them and we were checking them over, we felt that they needed just a little bit more um, attention. Okay. Uh, so we, we hired a, an outside firm to help us out with... Uh, you know, just dialing in the speakers just a little bit better. Oh, okay. There was a, there was a slight rattle 
on the speaker and it's it, it's just a simple fix but we just didn't want to get them into our customers hands. well sure you know like that we we want to give the, the best possible experience and uh yeah so they're a little delayed but it'll be well worth it the, the delay uh we've done some facebook posts and some other things to kind of supporting that that of uh, the product so people can kind of get a um a listen on it Okay, because I went back to an affair with trains and I said, are you bringing in any of the Santa Fe versions, the notch nose? And he said, yes. Would you like me to hold one and add it to your web order? And I said, yes, please do. I'm going to need one of those. So I said, by the way, they should be here in October. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll be well worth the wait, just like the, the Amtrak one. They have a couple extra prime movers just built in and uh, it's really designed to do like three three or so and each one will have like their individual prime movers now. Cool. We're kind of demonstrating that over at a, a DCC train. Okay. Needless to say, I am just looking forward to to those puppies. We've had a couple incidents here with the post office. So, I, you know, and... If you buy over a hundred bucks, Bob doesn't charge a freight. I said, charge me the difference and send a UPS signature required. I want a tracking number. I don't. I don't want this thing disappearing. Oh, yeah, yeah, man, that stinks that you're having that problem. Well, and I've gone to the post office, and I don't think it's my carrier. Yeah, I talk to my carrier all the time. I think it's somewhere above him in the 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 link of how the mail comes to him to go out on a route and deliver. So, I mean, we're pushing a hundred right. bucks on a couple things that have been scanned in as being here and they've never shown up. So yeah, I told Bob, send us UPS signature required. I, Boy. Cause I'll be able <laughs> to follow it with the, uh, the tracking number and be home when they come in. So they, uh, there's a, there's uh, over here by city park, which is only, a quarter, three-eighths of a mile from where we live, the edge of City Park. And there's a main line goes through there. In fact, it's double-track main line. And it's going east and west. So I've seen CSX there. I've seen BNSF. I've seen Norfolk Southern. I've seen UP. So either the pool movements or else it's just a consolidated track, maybe in and out. But there's no real good way to watch it. So when we first moved here, they had to tear down a bridge over I-610 to rebuild it because it was mm. deteriorating. So they reopened it this weekend, and they put bike lanes on it. And so I was up oh, there, really? and it goes right over this, this, this dual main line. I mean, it's 150-pound welded rail, uh, concrete nice. ties. Yes, so... Uh, all I got to do now is get a schedule so I know when to be there to to watch the trains go by because I can be there on my bike in about six minutes in traffic. So it is close hey. by. Nice. Well, then you'll be able to actually see some trains for a change. Yeah, I see them parked all the time waiting for signals, clearance, or crew change, but don't get to see too many uh, opened. So tell me, where are you on the... Uh, the videos on the motor swap outs. I'm really behind. I have a number of videos that I want to get moving. 
there's some things I just need to to retape the intro and a couple other things and the layover my voice my voiceover. But as far as like the install, uh, I tried it out actually. Yeah. As like a test run, uh, just laid out some Tato Unitrack and tried it through different various, you know, situations and things. And I I, th- I think the locomotive really responds well. It sounds pretty good with the sugar cube and the 16 by, uh, I think it's the 35 millimeter. Yeah. Oval speaker. Yeah. I sealed that up with a, a gasket and used the, the two in a series. The two speakers are, are in a series with the, the output of the, um, the decoder. So yeah, just, just really overall pretty, pretty satisfied with, with that installation. Um, I have yet to get to the part that you were talking about with the CS seven, with the LEDs <laughs> and the lights. Um, I, I was just, <laughs> you know, first comes first, especially on the, on SP units is the, the myriad of signal lights at the front oh, and yeah. rear. And then, you know, of course, when you have like a, a select 4.0, you have eight functions. So it's like, oh, yeah, well, there's the number boards, there's the ground lights, there's, you know, you start adding in more wires and more things to do. And um, I just haven't kind of psyched myself up to, to get to that part yet. But um, after I get this video out, I'm going to start on that part, the the LED in, install of uh of the locomotive and maybe, um, include on some additional detail and, you know, weathering and things like that. There's a, on the, the forums on MRH forums, it's last week's photo fun. No one started one for this week, but about page four or five, there's a gentleman who has a picture of a whole bunch of his SD forties and he's got them custom painted for his own road. I think he makes a statement that each locomotive has 14 0402 surface mount LEDs in it. And I'm looking and I'm wow. seeing, obviously, yeah, front and rear headlights, uh, ditch lights, and he's got step lights and truck lights. I, I'm looking forward to see how you guys have done the truck lights on your uh, STP 40s. Uh, they're, they're really, really set prototypically i mean okay. it isn't like a headlight sticking down no um, no no you know it, it's it's really subtle and when you kind of go through a tunnel or have a lower light level situation in the layout room they'll become very apparent but it if it's in a well-lit room i mean you'll see the headlights and all that stuff but it's much more subtle well, in real locomotives, during the day when those things are on, you hardly notice them. So Right. And that was the intent. I saw the photos that uh, Mr. Patterson took, the night shots with your locomotive. Right. And I went, okay, I can see the truck lights. And I thought it looked exceptional. And, of course, on Tsunami 2, you can adjust the brightness, and you've got a couple registers. Right, and uh, we took that opportunity with the tsunami to 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 make the headlight a little bit more prototypical brightness. We felt okay. like the really bright sort of uh, LED retina burner is a little more of a modern look. Uh, the locomotives in the seventies were the, the headlights just weren't as bright as they are now. So we took that opportunity to kind of like lower 
to dim the the headlight out of the box so it's not overpowering where you can see the detail on the locomotive. Okay. Um, but if someone wants that, they can just change a couple CVs and make it that way. Uh, yes. The Tsunami 2 supports it. So Cool. Because I think after I get this E done, I'm going to go looking for one of your P42s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll remotor it, put a Kato in it, and then I'm going to custom paint it for the CSX corporate train. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, kind of like CSX is upgrading the E units to P42s and uh, run them <laughs> together. So, yeah, that, that'll be pretty cool. Yeah, because I didn't, I know it's, you know, it's all fantasy, but I don't like the look of the corporate FP40s. I just don't like that paint scheme that uh, CSX uses with it. So I'm going to do my own with a P42. Oh, okay. Well, that'll be interesting to see what you do with that. Yep. So, so how are you coming on Jim's boxcar? <laughs> oh, I'm done. I, I, I'm, I'm all ready to, to pull the trigger on this thing. <laughs> I wasn't even going to say anything, so. <laughs> I think this thing has developed a life of its own, Jim. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, it has. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely, done, he's definitely done with it. Definitely done. <laughs> All right, here. I want both of you guys put on your thinking caps. Uh-huh. Yeah, Mardi Gras here, which is typically late winter, early spring. Uh most of the parade routes start, you know, and come down St. Charles and all that stuff. There's one parade it's called Endymion that actually starts out of City Park. So it's like a, like I said, less than a mile away. And it's on Saturday. And it goes down Canal Boulevard, goes to the Superdome. <laughs> they take the floats inside the Superdome. And we mere mortals on the other floats... We get parties and buffets before and after. They go to the Superdome and have all kinds of partying and music going on. Guess who the Grandmaster is this year? Let me give no you a clue. Hint. Maggie May. What? Rod Stewart. You're kidding me. Got to find a way to get that gentleman on the podcast. Yeah, I, I'd recommend, you know, just like trying to go get him backstage and, <laughs> you know. Well, he's actually will be riding on one of the floats. I guess I could throw myself in front of one of the horses so that they <laughs> have to hold up the float. Uh. Uh. You know, yeah, that knock him out and say, my wife's a doctor. You know, we'll, bring, we'll bring him to my house. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The health care is coming. By the way, would you mind doing a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when we stitch you up, will you sedative if you do the podcast? Otherwise, tough it out. Yeah, no need, no need to pay my, no need to pay my wife's doctor bill. <laughs> you can just do a podcast. Oh, yes. You know, Paul, you you should do up like a string of beads just for him, but instead of beads, make them like old decoders or something. <laughs> yeah, we could do. Yeah, I know yeah. you've got plenty of broken. Yeah, you got plenty of broken ones. You'll just line them up. <laughs> maybe i'll go to his uh i'm sure he's got a facebook page i'm sure he's got a website i think i just an email and just hey when yeah, you're and, in town and i'm sure he has a I'm, I'm sure he has a personal assistant oh that leads to all of those 
Because it's Hey, yeah, if you could nail uh, Rob Stewart into joining us on a podcast, that'd be great. Oh, that's right. I'd even, you know, bring him over here. We'll record this at the house and I'll, you know, slow cook ribs for you. So, yeah, my wife is going, well, how are you going to get Rob Stewart? I said, let me get back to you on the details. And I haven't worked at it. <laughs> Still scheming. Yeah, but he is a, he's been knighted. So I guess it's what Sir Rod Stewart. Sir Rob. Sir Rod Stewart. Okay. Sir Rod. Sir Rod. Well, I, I guess you only have to say that if you're a British sub. Well, heck, I don't mind saying it. That's just an oh, accommodation. Neither do I. Neither do I. But no, no, no. It's uh, and it's sort of like Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Is because I was watching a um, I was watching oh it was a YouTube video and. Somebody was talking to uh, Patrick Stewart, and he's also knighted, so he's Sir yes. Patrick. Yes. And he said, technically, he said, technically, you're not, you're a United States citizen, you're not a British subject, so you're not required to call me Sir Patrick. But if you're, if you're, you want to, it's Sir Patrick, uh, not Sir Stewart or whatever. Okay. Sir, but yeah, he's the one that, Patrick Stewart was the one that said, if you're not a British subject, then it's not a quote-unquote requirement. Well, that could be our... Royal Order of the Railroad Knighthood. We could, you'd be Sir Chris, Sir James, Sir Paul, and then Sir Rod. We could just kind of like an, yeah, right. yeah, that's, like our mongoose, yeah. like our mongoose episode, only different. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Try getting, try, try getting a hold of John, um, John Sacco uh, from uh, City Classics because he knows him. He knows him. Because he sold him a bunch of structures. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, he's quite the, uh, and, uh, the layout or the railroad. Oh yeah, absolutely. But you know he, you know he tells told me the story. Uh, Jim Sacco, Jim Sacco. I'm sorry. Um, and he said, uh, told me the story of, you know he. Somebody, you know, his personal assistant calls him and says, "I'd like to, you know, want to buy some structure." I said, you know, I really don't deal with, you know, private individuals because he didn't say who he was. He just, yes, you know, I don't, de- I don't deal with private individuals. I don't like to undercut the hobby shop. So, you know, just talk to your local hobby shop and, and you know, and then just says I want twenty five thousand dollars worth. Well, <laughs> hello. Oh, okay. That changes things okay. a little bit. <laughs> changes things a little bit. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't want three. Stru- I don't want three structures. I want three hundred or something with something ridiculously huge. Wow. It may not have been twenty five thousand, but it was a, like a lot. It was an attention said, game. Well, okay. Yeah, it's like <laughs> more than more than more than Walter's buys in a year, you know. Um, so. That's amazing. Yeah, I think. Yeah. These are kits? But no, he. Huh? They're kits? The kits, yeah. They're mm-hmm. structure kits. So somebody's got to put yeah, them together. And golly, that would be just a, a, a significant undertaking just in itself. I'll get back to you in five years when I get all these built. Well, I mean, if you if you read the, the uh, Model Railroader articles, he said that he would get like two rooms, two suites. Whenever he would go to concert, he'd get two suites, and one whole suite would be, 
he had big tables laid out and he would he built a lot of the skyscrapers yes while he was out on tour that's true that is true that's uh, awesome <laughs> yeah yeah early in the mo- early in the morning before he would go to uh uh before he would go out to you know the the uh, rehearsals and stuff like that, he'd be working on his structures and stuff. He's abusing fairly noxious cements and stuff like that with the windows open in the middle of winter. He says, you know, you, you hear about rock stars coming in and destroying hotel rooms, and here I am with uh, clear everything out. I just want tables and, and newspapers and, and make sure the windows open. Yeah. Why does, why well, you know, he's got to have two sets of roadies then, you know. One set of yeah. roadies to set up the stage. The other one to, you know, like carefully carry the skyscraper you just built out of the, oh, out yeah. of the hotel yeah, room. That's right. that's right. Take it down to the truck and carefully transport it to California to his house. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you don't put that in the overhead luggage compartment of a plane, even in first class. No. No, mm-hmm. no, no. No, no. That goes on a bus. <laughs> that goes on your bus. Yeah, one of those big Provost uh, million-dollar buses. Provost, mm-hmm. Provost, yeah. however you say that. A little bit above me, so. Just a tad. So what else, guys? Like I said, I, ha- I have not done a lot of modeling other than the, you know, building the pseudo-bench work. But... Okay. You, you know, Jim, I I, I've been kind of avoiding bench working trying to come up with ways to be an apartment dweller and just sort of accept the fact that I don't have access or a place to start using a chop saw and some of these other things. My, my bench work will be two inch foam. And then my, my bench work tools of choice will be like hot wire foam cutters and box cutters, you know? I mean, either that, either that, if, if, you, if you did gator foam, Gator foam you can cut with a utility knife. Yeah. I didn't because I can't cut a straight line with a utility knife to save my life. So I use a table saw for mine. Uh-huh. You, you know, I assembled. You, know, you, can, you could do it with a, with a knife and, you know, just the, the cement that they use. It'd be, and, you know, some clamps. It's, it's, it's just as, the, the module that I'm mounting to this, bench work that I created is uh, it's actually made out of gator foam, uh, but I wanted something. I just wanted some shelves. and It's sitting on one of these fold-up tables right now, and which kind of sits right. in the middle, which doesn't, which doesn't help anything. I had a layout here made out of two, you know, it was an N-scale layout on, on two-inch foam, though, so it works. Hot, that and a hot milk glue gun. Two-inch foam and a hot milk glue gun. Yeah, Paul, I wanted to, to, to chat with you about, like, purchasing bench work. Yeah. But, you know, at the same token, it's kind of, like, liberating to say, okay, I don't have to build bench work before I start laying right. anything. I just go with the two-inch foam and get some road bed material for it and start just kind of cutting it the way it should flow around the room. I bought this from... A gentleman over in Florida, and he has standard size, and he'll make whatever you want. And so I bought everything. I I plotted out the room, scaled it, and took into consideration how this was going to be delivered to my house, 
how I was going to get it into the house, up the stairs, you know, across the landing and into the train room. So, because this is three-quarter inch, uh, it's not cabinet grade, but it's finished on two sides. It's stainable. It all comes disassembled, and he sends drawings because I, I sent him how this was going to look. And so he said, do you want any holes in the inside the room thing for controls or mounting? And I said, no, I don't. He said, well, I will drill the holes through the cross members that will accommodate your power bus, your control buses, anything else. And I said, good. He said, and where this wall meets this wall perpendicular, I will also put the connecting holes there. You won't see them, but when the units go together, the holes will line up and you can run your wires. So this stuff came, because I did two foot by four foot, and then I bought uh, legs to make the top 48 inches. Everything was pre-cut. It was marked where to put like the cross members and stuff like that. Uh, he had already drilled the holes. These have Clegg fasteners. Those are the uh, square-headed wood screws that go in at an angle. And, oh, okay. Yeah, cone Cleggs. And all that stuff was there. I already had Clegg bits. And when he does his legs, the legs mount on the inside, but they're shoulder cut. So that the table actually rests on the shoulder and then the inside just attaches it. So the vertical load goes not against the screws, but is actually transmitted into the leg and the screws are just the stability against lateral motion. And I put all this stuff together using just, you know, battery operated uh, screwdrivers. Well, I mean, they're 18 volt, but and on the leg braces, then I went out and bought additional lumber and created uh, cross members so I could get all my Axion boxes and uh, A-line boxes out to where I can easily access it. So my wife goes, because we're going to move probably sometime next spring. And okay. she goes, what are you going to have to do to that, your railroad? And I said, well... It's going to have to come down. I said, we'll probably want to take it down even before we start showing the house. <laughs> Unless we leave it up and say, hey, for this much money, I'll leave the railroad. But <laughs> I said, I said the track will be, I said, it's down with silicone, but it's going to be destroyed. I said, I might be able to get the turnouts up because I was very careful and sparing with the silicone when I put them down. But otherwise, I mean, I've considered all the track roadbed and stuff will be gone. I said, the trees, the buildings, obviously. I said, and a lot of these rock faces I've cast, because there must be in an aggregate of about 12 foot of rock faces in this canyon-like thing that I've cast. I got really good rock casting uh, molds out of this guy in Vermont and painted them, and they look really good. I said, that stuff I'll be able to get off and take. I said, the, the dominoes... Once all that stuff's off, turn them upside down, remove the legs. You can disassemble the legs and it's just, we get to the next place. I said, I can go back to the same man 
buy more to go with it, you know, whatever size space allows. I said, yeah, it's going to be a pain in the butt, but I said, just know that I'm agreeing to this move under the condition the next train room is a lot bigger than this one. And she started laughing and she goes, it will happen. She said, I will make that happen. So, <laughs> so the, this is like thirteen by fourteen. I, I have I have all these uh, woodworking tools. You know, for an O scale for an O scale box car, I might be able to make you some bench work. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to scratch build you an O scale box car? That's a great deal. No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I thought that's what he said. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it, it, uh, I don't remember. I think I was surprised at, like I said, this is a 13 by 14 room. And I designed it so that the closet door and the entry door open and close, even with those removable sections in, those doors are fully functional. I mean, it wasn't cheap, but it was worth every penny. It was worth every penny. I bet you putting all these together and I'm doing it at my leisure, but I had it done in two days and still nice. cooking and doing, you know, doing miles on the bike and stuff. It was, it was a piece of cake. Yeah. This is the way to go. So I told my wife, I said, don't worry about it. I said, but wherever this next house is, it'll probably be North of Dallas somewhere, maybe Plano or, uh, Richardson or one of those up there. I said, I will leave there in a pine box. I'm not moving again. So, but we shall see. Yeah, the guy. How big is here. your space? Oh, no, I'm sorry about that, but I thought you were done. Oh, no, no. You said how big? How big is the space you have, Chris? Uh, the space I have is, uh, I'd say, 13 by, it's about 10, 10 or 11. Something like that. I'm in an apartment, so it's kind of like what Paul's dealing with, too. You, you don't want to get too permanent with it. The way I was figuring was just get some uh, wall mount brackets from from the hardware store and start cutting up yeah. some two-inch foam. And, you know, it just gives me a, a platform to, to put down some, you know, maybe some Kato Unitrack. Uh, You're not talking about and, wall and, mounting, are you? Yeah. All right, you're renting. That means you got to repair all that when you leave. Oh, the, the guy I, I rent from is really chill about that sort of stuff. So Okay. Yeah. The only, yeah. The only thing I would say, if you're going to do the two-inch foam, do uh, what I did is I uh, actually made uh, stringers. So I, mm-hmm. I took the two-inch foam and I, and I cut like a four-inch piece and I glued that on the end. So, I, you know, so like a... I'm going to call it a stringer. It's not the right word, but, um, like an end plate you know, or something it, like that. Like, like an end plate. And that way it gave it, you know, cause the two inch foam is going to, have, even with the brackets, it's going to have a tendency to want to sag. So, right. If you put, if you put that on the outside, it'll, it'll support it. So it doesn't sag. So you just right, turn right. it sideways and if you turn it sideways like a board, you know, Right. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be, it's just simply a platform to put like temporary track down so I can run something. 
Um, uh, yeah, I understand about sagging there. I was actually thinking about doubling yeah. up some two-inch foam, just kind of like give it a little bit more. Um, well, like I said, I, I'm trying to avoid wood on this one. I just want to put it together pretty much with like uh, just some white glue, maybe white glue, different pieces of foam. And, you know, that, that's, that's what it is. It's a light shelf that that can be manipulated in different ways. Uh, my modeling interest kind of changes from month to yeah. month, it seems like. So having the Cotto Unitrack will kind of give me the platform to kind of like, okay, well, this is kind of what this industrial scene looks like, you know, and start putting it together to do like a, a switching district. And when you get tired of that, just simply disconnect everything and, <laughs> you know, change it up, you know? Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, I actually, I, like I said, I would get the, uh, what I use was, uh, the Woodland Scenics low temp hot milk glue gun mm-hmm. and hot milk glue with, with foam is awesome. Oh, is <laughs> it? It's really fast. Oh yeah. It's really oh, yeah. fast. <laughs> and then, and then if you put, if you, if you put stuff together, uh, that you can get it on your fingers and while it's hot, it doesn't burn you. Um, ah. that you know the low temp you know, the woodland scenic sells low temp hot glue gun um and uh and you can weld with it, so you don't actually Ooh. you know you if if you know what I mean, you put a bead in it and it will hold mm-hmm. stuff together that's actually how I held down all my Cato Unitrack on the layout on the end scale layout I had is I actually welded i i used hot milk glue and I welded along the edge of the Unitrack. Oh, okay. Um, it, worked, it actually worked pretty good. Uh, the only problem is, is you need to make sure that you get all the strings of the glue out because it'll wrap around the axles. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, when, when you have a uh, when you have a four percent grade and the cars don't roll, yeah, I found that oh. out. That it was it was like it was like handbrakes on the cars. <laughs> the, the, the little strings of hot melt glue were wrapped around the axles, and I'm like, "Why are these cars not rolling down the hill? It doesn't make any sense." Oh. <laughs> All right, let me ask a question, and this is this may really sound dumb, but in the context of HO scale uh, compared to O scale or Proto 48, two percent is still two percent, four percent is still four percent, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. It's just bigger. The, the distance is larger. That's all. Okay. But it's the same to uh, a 4% green I mean, nose like a number of gray frog. Okay. Well, in, in, the partic- in, in this particular instance, it was N scale that I was talking about. But oh, okay. Right. It's an N scale layout I had. That the N scale layout that I built using foam, like he's doing, I used uni- Cato Unitrack that I glued down with hot milk glue and I ran a bead of it along the edge of the roadbed is how I installed it. Oh, okay. cool. And, um, yeah, I put, a, I put all the, I put all the members and everything together with hot milk glue. Yeah, it works great. <coughs> so see, that's, that was like the that. other thing that crossed my mind. Chris, like it, you know, might of yours was, okay, maybe I need to be doing in scale instead of HO. Mm-hmm. And then I go, 
oh yeah, like I got about ten grand worth of HO stuff here. What am I going to do with it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sell it for ten cents on the dollar. Right. Now, right. While I was still working with Bob in an affair with trains, come in one day and he hands me this in scale SD70. He says, go put this on a test track and tell me what you think. So I go in, fire up the test track, and put it up, and all of a sudden, this sound starts rolling out of this in-scale hood diesel. And I hit right. the horn, and it just... And he comes to the comes out of his office into the store, and he says, what do you think? And I said, is this really coming from here, or am I hallucinating? He said, nope. He said, that's a Economy and a sugar cube. He said, Jerry Rowley came up with that. And I went, no you know, kidding. Uh, I've got a video of it somewhere, Chris. It, it blew me away, the fidelity and the volume of the sound out of this in-scale locomotive with an Economy and a single sugar cube was just unbelievable. It's like magic, you know? Yes. (laughs) Because I would want to be able to take magic with me if I were to convert to N-scale. Right. Now, another customer and a friend of mine did that. He said, I'm in an apartment. He said, said, I have no idea when my wife and I are going to be able to move to a home, let alone one with an expansive space for a railroad empire. So he said, I'm just going to start selling off and convert to N-scale. And I went, mm-hmm. I have no problem. I said, the, the Atlas, the Athern, uh, and the Cotto in-scale stuff that's out, out there, uh, Intermountain, I said, this stuff is great. Yeah, mm-hmm. don't, don't, you're not sacrificing anything because you guys just on the, your in-scale is Genesis, right? On your, Our in-scale sort of has a lot of detail. I mean, yeah. when, you, when you look at, the new tank train that came out. I mean, yeah. there's just almost every bit as much brake piping and everything on to, on the bottom wow. of that tank car as there is on a Genesis one, you know. It's just a little smaller. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, and you're under what well, you have challengers in, in mm-hmm. scale. I mean, they're beautiful. Right. They are beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually had an opportunity this past week to uh, kind of, check out some of the new challengers and end scale that just came in and you know, they run really nice. I'll tell you led lights and all that stuff. And they map sound and it's just like good grief. You know, if I was starting the hobby now, that that might be something I would seriously consider. Um, There was a time where I was considering, you know, putting away my HO kind of indefinitely and just find a different, a little bit smaller scale and even consider TT scale just as something to, to tinker around with. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of TT just being a little bit smaller than HO and that would just give me a little bit more out of the space I had. I mean, I'd, I'd benefit from some of the things that were already established on the market. Uh, I was looking at the, some of the end scale couplers out there that seem a little large for end scale, but they were just bang on for, for TT scale, you know, it was like, okay, that, that this actually might be viable. I, I just never, my time is just so limited now where sure. 
I couldn't, and I couldn't just make that happen to, uh, to, I, I guess uh, what I'm trying to say is I wouldn't be able to execute it in the manner that I really wanted to proceed in. So I came up sort of, this is sort of backwards now. I, I, I came up with a plan to, you know, okay, my, my interest is so diverse. My space is so limited. Why not just come up with kind of like an HO burrito pretty much for lack of a better term and just, you know, let it be just sort of a blank slate where I can just add on building flats and, you know, cut some of the, the, the bush grass and all that to, you know, the, the fiber grass, not, not, it comes in a roll mat, but it's still kind of fibery and has yeah. actual texture to it. I've got some of that. It's very good looking when it's down. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah and that was kind of my thinking. It's just like, just tack it down a little bit, just scratch the itch. And you know, if I want to change it, it's no big loss. I just sort of like pull apart everything and then just redo it differently. You know, uh, you know what you really want to do is just, do a G scale uh, switching <laughs> rail. Yeah, that's that would be amazing. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you you could have like six pieces of equipment and you'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. sad thing is, you, the sad thing is, you can get a USA Trains GP nine or whatever it is. Uh, I think it was a GP nine. Uh, I saw one for like two hundred bucks. It was beautiful. It cost more really? than that for scale. <laughs> yes. I mean, we can see Wow. Like, Come on. You know, it costs more than that for always scale. What the heck? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that, that's kind of just the direction I'm, I'm kind of looking at sort of uh, apartment dweller. I, I want to be able to run something. I'm tired of keeping it in boxes, but. Oh, absolutely. You know, just yeah, like. Yeah. You know, just like any sort of apartment, you know, there's going to be a time when you're going to be moving out. So. Can't go. You can't go permanent. But you know that's never been my forte anyway. So uh, I just come to to realize that it's just a part of my personality. I just have a short attention span for for my modeling interests. It, it, it may last like a few months, and it's like okay, I'm ready for something else. So uh, yeah, and then you have, every time I watch, you know. What's neat this week with, you know, Ken Patterson, and he's got, got this railroad empire in the basement. Mm -hmm. And he's got these incredible modules that he can take outside overlooking the Mississippi over towards Illinois for his photographer and even video run-bys. And I go, oh, gosh, and I realize he's put a lot of work into it. But I went, that would be worth the effort to get, be able to do that. Incredible. Oh yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of what got me thinking too, is like being able to not really cement myself into just one particular thing, because, you know, I, I was on YouTube kind of looking up small layouts and just layout building in general. And, and there was just kind of like an overtone to it. It's, there were three things about it that I took away that just like, I'm never going to build a, a layout type thing because number, the number one thing, it's a lifelong commitment. Number two, you have to plan, 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 plan. And number three, it's uh, you, you got to like really know what you want to model. 
<laughs> and, and it's like, I'm never going to be able to execute a permanent layout, but Hey, I just want to casually run some trains and enjoy the hobby. So I, I think that we need to, as, as a hobby need a, an alternative for, for people in the position similar to me where you don't have a whole lot of room. You don't have a, a permanent place to live. You, your interest changes and you just got to kind of go with the flow. So we need to come up with something for that segment of the hobby, because right now it's, it's all just big layout, the small layouts. It's still kind of under the premise of a big one, you know, that's true. Society has changed. Even with yeah, my generation, we are a lot more mobile than our parents. Yeah, the millennials and the, the other groups are even more so very fluid because of careers, job changes, stuff like that. I think our oldest daughter has already, she's maybe 40, and she's already moved six times. I don't mean within the same city. I mean multi-state, different city because of her career. It's right. Just, it's just a different world out there. So, yeah, it's time to adapt. And if if I were an Athern, just picking up on what you said, I'd be looking, okay, how do we capitalize, satisfy the demand for the hobbyist within that context, within that confound? And you look at... Well, first of all, they got to have a place to run their trains, and so we need a vehicle. We need a bench system. We need a, you know, dominoes, for lack of a better word, that people can buy easily, quickly assemble, but then quickly take down if they have to move. You know, again with right. So what a challenge! But I know you can handle it, Chris. Yeah, Chris. I mean, aren't you involved in, with Fremo? You know, I, I am, but I just really haven't had, I, I really haven't had the weekends to devote to. No, 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 no. That's not what I mean. What I mean is make a free module and that suits your interest for now. Just work on that. You'd probably make it big enough. It'll make a, you know, a section so that you can, you know, switch a small switching area. And then when you're tired of it, you just donate here. <laughs> Here's a, you know, the, the modular group, you know, here's a industrial area for the modular group. I'm going to do something else. I don't want it anymore. Yeah. That's well, because then, then at least, then at least you could use it with other people, even though, I mean, like you said, you don't have a lot of time. You can't devote it, but at least you have it set to a standard that if you wanted to give it away, cause you, you wanted to do something else, you could, and then somebody else could actually use it instead of just throwing it in the trash. Right. You know, the, there's kind of... It's, a, uh, it's an option. You know, it, it's, that's a good one. And, you know, I, I, I'm kind of looking at it. There again, I get start getting into the bench work, the wiring, and, and a lot of the other stuff. And all that stuff I have zero interest in. I have very limited hobby time. I don't want to spend my very limited hobby time on bench work a whole lot of wiring and things like that, that, that is kind of necessary to really successfully execute a, a Freema module. So, so looking at the available time I have, I think it's really, no, that's logical. What, what, what really inspires me 
to be a model railroader is to be able to just sort of like casually go into it and say, yeah, today I, I feel like putting in the siding and trying to, you know, work out this switching idea I had and just kind of start snapping things together and, you know, maybe just add in a couple little scenic elements just to kind of get out of my mind's eye and start switching it. You know, that, that kind of is, I could do that in, in an afternoon versus like start working on a Fremo module that would take me uh, with the time amount that I kind of have to give and take and, you know, trying to keep that internal flame going. It'd take me over a year to do um, a module. I, I have, I have two Fremos sitting there right on my wall right now. And I started ah. building them in 2004. They haven't progressed. Awesome. Wow. They haven't progressed at all. Wow. And it, it, it's just like, okay, I, I need to, I need to just either execute these things or just disassemble them and move on to something else. And I'm getting to that point where I just need to disassemble and move on to something right. else. Right. Because so. the spark that was there to originally, it's hard to get it started again. It's hard yeah. to, when, when a project has sat for a long time, it's very hard to get, shall we say the mojo back to do it. Right. Right. Have a better it's like that project, the uh, the gondola project that I did, that languished yeah. two years or whatever it was. It was like, uh, you know. But once I got it going, it was like I just got to do it. Just, yeah. Just, just and I'm happy. I'm happy it's done. But you know that was right. something where I was convalescing. I didn't really. Ha- I mean, I had a lot of time to do it. You know. So it's like okay. I can sit down, I can do it. It doesn't require a lot of energy because I can't do anything because of the surgery. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Force, you know, if your life forces you into a position where it makes sense to work on those, then you may say, ah, I can finish these. Right. But exactly. Unless that happens, unless that happens you're going to, there's way too many other things you'd rather be doing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and I'm looking at like my freight cars, I'm looking at all these things that could, you know, absorb my, my, my modeling time that I can devote. And it, it's just not, I'm, I'm not going to be able to reap the benefit from, from doing Fremo modules right now, unfortunately. I, I mean, I would love to, to be able to, you to do that, no, but uh, re- it's re- re- rephrase it is you won't be able to get, you won't be able to reap the benefit quick enough for it to be satisfying. Right, right, right. You, it, will. It, it, you will, you will get the benefit, but there'll be a lot of like pounding your head against the wall and not seeing any progress at all. Really? I mean, yeah. you would sort of kind of, but not to be satisfying. You're going to be doing drudgery work that you don't want to do. And it's like, I only I only have three hours. I don't want to spend two and a half of it wiring something if that's not if that's something you don't like to do. I don't want to be spending two and a half hours of the three hours that I have. I want to do something I want to do, not something I have to do. Right, exactly. And yeah. you mean I I love doing track work. You know, um, that's kind of one of the things I want to integrate into uh, into the sort of new school approach to. Um, how I'm going to do a, a layout for myself. It's, 
wait a minute. You you love doing track work? I love Proto track 48, work. Proto 48, baby. Proto 48. <laughs> There's your thing. <laughs> well, I could do Proto 48 or kind of more a little bit more fine scale HO, and I think that's the the direction I'm going to shoot for. I yeah. So yeah, I, I, I'm going to selectively choose maybe like a diorama, you know, where I I could do the track work and quickly execute one of the buildings or something. Or even if I find a, a building I really like at a train show that's kind of like a building flat that kind of fits a, an area, and then I could just sort of build around it. I find that really inspiring. It's something I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing. I, I'm, I'd say coming up to this winter, that's kind of about the time I'm going to start really digging into this. So bench, bench workless layout. <laughs> yes. That's all right. You know, Foscale, uh, Doug Foscale, he would do a lot of his, you know, he would just do quickie, you know, dioramas on foam you mm-hmm. know, for his structures. He'd build, a, he'd build a structure kit and put it on a, you know, the, the trick with that is, you know, uh, hey, I want to run a train too, you know. So, right. So stood by Halloween. You know, what's that, Paul? Do it by hologram. There we go. We'll just do this as uh, holographic no. images. No, no. no. <laughs> I, I, think, I think we've had this discussion before. It's like train simulator. I uh, do not like those. Do not like those. I don't. I I don't understand it because <clears throat> if you've ever worked on the railroad, yeah, and you know all you're doing is staring out a window for eight hours. There's not a whole not a whole lot going on, you know, because you know it's it, there's a whole lot of boredom goes on with moving a train from here to there. It's like, why do I want to replicate that on my computer? Yeah, yeah. Like so, so not only not only are you replicating one of the more boring things in the, that you could possibly do on the planet, it's not even as interesting because the graphics aren't as good. You don't have all the detail that you can look at, you know, so I, 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 anyway, but some people like it. So that's great. I'm not knocking it. I just don't understand. It. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 I think that there's, there's a lot to be said for, you know, maybe, maybe, there's an opportunity to kind of rope in some, some more people that have been interested in doing a layout, but you know, that's, there's a lot of intimidation factor to the wiring bench work and, you know, the other aspects of, of layout construction. Um, if it, if, if we could figure out a way to simplify it and make it a little bit more friendly, you know, to, to, to get people started, I think we, there might be some more layout builders out there, you know. So oh, yeah, I'm going to give it a shot. Out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so once you, once it's you coming. Go, once you go battery operated, once you go battery operated, it's like <laughs> lay the track, and it becomes way less complicated. In a way, it becomes complicated in one way and not in another. 
Yeah, you're taking the wiring the, from underneath your layout and putting it inside your locomotive. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. So. Yeah, you're going to run it. Well, and now we've got these new developments with uh, Tim Ring's group. Yep. And so anyway, we've reached out to Tim. He wants to talk about it. His just schedule's going crazy right now. And I said, well, let me know. I said, because we'd certainly like to have you back on to talk about, you know, the possibilities now that you're interfacing with DCC and the the ring system. Mm-hmm. And then battery power came up. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I, I, I'd say we're kind of just at the, we're not on the footsteps yet, but we're kind of looking up the, the stairway to uh, something kind of new and exciting here as far as like model railroad control, I think. Oh, so. yeah. Tim, Tim Valley Depot um, has a system too. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a wireless DCC um, battery operated. Is it okay? Is it proprietary or is that? NMRA compliant on DCC. Um, it's NMRA compliant. It's I've seen he's demonstrated he's demonstrated it to yeah I mean I've seen it okay. I've seen it work and uh, yeah he showed me on his uh, I I went over his house and he showed me on his living room floor it was kind of neat <laughs> yeah you know 2015 I believe it was but so it's somebody just somebody posted in one of the O scale groups about it that it's uh okay you know he keeps he keeps promising to send me a system and he forgets but well you know there's also LCC too what's that and yeah LCC okay LCC on on the outside to everyone is sort of like the layout control but oh okay Come on, let, let, let's just be realistic about it. I mean, as sound locomotives and all these other sort of technological things that we're trying to install our, install in our, our locomotives is going to be more bandwidth consuming as far as like data streams, we're going to need a different protocol other than DCC to kind of handle the two-way communication between your, your throttle and, and your locomotive. And LCC is kind of that. It doesn't okay. matter if it's wired, wireless, or whatever. It's quite simply a, a control node, and it's the, the pathway in between this control node and the controller to, to execute the things that you want it to do, and a bunch of other things on top of it. So I, I, I kind of see LCC as being the DCC of the future as we start talking about wireless interfaces, direct radio control and things like that, it's going, we're going to need to have like an open format sort of system versus like a bunch of proprietary systems that don't interoperate together. We're going to need to be able to, you know, have any sort of manufacturer LCC node or whatever they want to call them and, have open format so you could use any sort of iPhone, Android, whatever computer, I mean, however you want to be controlling that node, you know. So 
so yeah, I, I, I think there's going to be a lot more developments in, in all of the, the different sort of uh, wireless or direct sort of controlled systems. Oh, I think that just knowing this is, you know, part of the progress, the evolution of the hobby, I think it's exciting just to think of what possibilities are out there to be had. Oh, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to talking to Tim about it when we get to that point. Oh, yeah. So the thing that's always fascinated me about his system is the locomotives talk to each other. <laughs> so you don't have to, you know, speed matching is not an issue on the on the ring system. The locomotives talk to each other. I like that. So your CF7 would have been just that's right. a non-issue. <laughs> that's right. It would have been talking to the other CF7s and gone, yeah, come on, come on. Work with me, boys. Work with me. <laughs> Pick up the pace a little bit, you yeah, know. that's right. Come on, you're dragging the flag through the mud. <laughs> All right. What else? Yeah, what um, the Cam Valley system does is he sells a radio... Um, if you go to camvalleydepot.com, he has a handheld controller that's actually the command station. It's a radio command station in your hand. And he also sells a receiver that you use the decoder in your locomotive. Okay. So if you add a battery and his receiver into your locomotive, now you can either use it as a standard DCC throttle or... If you add the receiver into the locomotive with a battery, then you can run it. You can run your decoder, so like any DCC decoder, you can run through his system with a battery. That sounds interesting. Yeah, and I've seen him. I've seen him. Yeah, it's uh, the, the throttle itself is eighty nine bucks. I don't know how that right now. What kind of batteries? Lithium ion. Uh, well, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't get into batteries because the problem with you know what everybody wants is to be able to you know charge the battery from the track, and that gets tricky. Yeah. You yeah. Have to, you have to have the right. You I mean you have to because if you don't do it the right way, they can explode, burn your house down. Yeah. I know that Neil Stanton on his his system. Yeah, there's you can have a charging track, I believe. To but yeah, is it. You don't want your locomotive burning down the house. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, the, um, you know, certain batteries charge no problem. Other batteries, I forget. He explained it. He's explained it before. He just don't. He just doesn't want to get into it because if you don't know what you're doing, you can burn your house down. So, oh, good heavens! Um, yes, liability would be incredible. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So he's like, I don't want any part of it. Um, Neil Stanton, Neil Stanton has come up with a with a a good solid system, which works yes. with a by which I w- believe it works with HO. But the problem is, is getting a battery big enough for O is my issue. Oh, okay. So, uh, that's what I'm. You know, I'm thinking. You know, you need you know so many amps and. and well, if Chris would come up with this. Proto 48 boxcar for you, we could probably get a motorcycle battery downsized. Yeah, probably, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
you but know, do, we'll, we'll put together a, we, we, what but we I could do, Jim, is like just turn turn the turn the boxcar into like a mobile battery. You know, there you just, go, there you go. Just make, pour it full of acid and put a, like a copper thing in there. You know. <laughs> well, no, I mean, in all serious, in all seriousness, what you do is you you, you know you you mu a second unit. Yeah. Literally, you, literally, you mu a second unit. And the second unit's just the battery. Oh, makes sense. Right. motor just battery. Makes you know, sense Particularly in O scale, you, you know, you put a manga battery in there. As long as it's free rolling, it's not an issue. And, and it, like a lot of these things that I'm putting in the actual roller bearings, the things roll so easily. Yes. That it, it would wouldn't be an issue as long as you have no gears, no nothing in the locomotive. It's just a rolling battery. It would be. It would probably work quite well. Then you know, you'd actually have to MU it, which would be interesting. Well, what about the new iPhone technology? And Samsung may do it also, but where the battery in your phone can be charged through the air. It's not like on my iPhone 7 where I have to put that little spade clip in there. I think it's the new iPhone 8 or whatever. Because my, my wife says, look at this charger. It charges through the air. And I went, wow, that could work on model railroading, that technology. Let me check into that. Let me check into that. You know, they've been doing it on wireless toothbrushes for years. You know, it's like, no, it, 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 I, I think that there is, maybe a disconnect from the new technology coming out now and just model railroaders just have, haven't really tackled it yet or Could absorbed be. it into the hobby. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of good solutions to some of these things, like, like what you're talking about. Um, it's just a matter of like coming up with a practical application that's bulletproof, you know? Right. And, and somebody, and, you know, somebody has to have, Somebody has to have the knowledge and the desire to apply that knowledge and not get paid very much. Because it's not, you know, there's not a lot of money. Yeah, until you market it, you know, you have to do it. You're doing it for the love of it because you want it or some other reason like that. You're not doing it because you're going to make a million dollars. I don't know. You, I think you, someone could make a million dollars if they make it a, a hobby grade sort of thing across anything that uses batteries as far as like hobbies concerned. That means like RC planes and cars and whatever right. else. Sure. You know, yeah. in fact, that would kind of really work out for like downsizing some of these RC things into HO scale. Imagine having like oh, wow. RC, yeah. RC 187 cars that that were wirelessly charged through an iPhone like charger or Android like charger or whatever. You know, that that would that, no, no, no. that, that would be like magic again, you know. <laughs> what would be really cool is you have the charger at your at your HO scale gas station and you, you drive your you drive your car up to the HO scale gas station and park it there and it recharges the battery. Yeah. Yeah, you know that would be really cool. So, yeah, that, I think there's a lot to kind of 
be excited about as, as these new things kind of integrate themselves into our hobby. Um, another thing that I saw, I think it was like an Apple tech conference, you know, where they're talking about the new iPhones and there's this new app or functionality designed in like their, their tablets and things called augmented reality. Yes. Are you guys familiar with this? No. Okay. Augmented reality. What it, their demonstration started off and maybe what we could do is I, I could find this, this clip that Apple showed and, you know, put it into our Facebook, but augmented reality is here. We have just like a bare table. And what they did is they took their, their new phone and they were looking through the phone at the same table and kind of walking around it and magic, just like magic, this town just grew on the table, just started coming up and they're, they're kind of panning around and showing going up and down, moving the phone in different directions. And, and the phone would track with the coordinates of the table and the, the, the scene was locked on the table. And then there's people that started coming up and shutting doors and walking around things. And I, I saw this, I'm like, now, now this is going to open up a completely different dimension. I mean, if, if someone was looking at this and they have like an iPhone like control system, like we throttle, you could almost take, you know, have, have your train come up to a switch and be looking at your train coming up to the switch and watch like an engineer kind of open up the cab door or, uh, you know, the conductor or brakeman or whatever, open up the cab door, come up, you know, start climbing down the, the pilot steps, you know, up to the switch stand, you know, watch them throw the switch through the phone, <laughs> you know, and have all this stuff kind of happen in real time on the layout and watch these events transpire as if it were a, a regular scene. Okay. So it's this whole sort of augmented reality sort of blends what's actually happening with sort of like computer generated stuff, like figures that actually move. Is that similar to the glass sets that people can put on that they use in gaming because it throws them into a, 3D, you know, fantasy world. Is that along that line? Sort of, but not really. It's, it's more taking reality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing about what the guys are doing with the goggles is, you know, say in drone racing, they're looking through the first, the FPV view on the drone. And by swiveling their head, they can kind of track their head and look from side to side, up and down, and kind of give yourself like your 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 head is actually on the drone, you know. Okay. So it gives you that sort of peripheral view around your eyes and all that. So where this is different is whatever's happening in front of you in reality, um, a locomotive is coming on the track the computer would see that through the phone and would add on some things that are just wouldn't be practical to try to do as a physical model, like figures moving. 
you know, having a walking figure as a model and it to look, you know, fluid and natural and stuff. It's just, you know, that would take some incredible skill to per, pull that off. Some of that stuff will just be better as sort of like a virtual thing that's added in your view as you're looking through your phone on this event kind of happening on the layout. Okay. It's, it's hard to describe, but it, I think it's definitely worth looking into and doing a little bit more research on And for anyone that out there that's curious about this. It's called augmented reality. Oh, it sounds, sounds fascinating. 